Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I take a look at the historic move in the stock of GameStop and the domino effect as a result of the parabolic move higher. From the Reddit community Wall Street bets, to the massive amount of short interest, to the historic short squeeze, and then the stock being halted at Robinhood, Jack and I give an overview of what transpired in the stock. We conclude with a few things investors may want to consider going forward and changes in the market dynamics that may be worth taking stock in. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this discussion. All right, today we're going to talk about um, something that happened in the market that a lot of people are talking about, thinking about, actually, as we're recording this podcast, the um, House Committee of Financial Services is having a hearing with the CEO of um, Robinhood, um, Citadel Securities, um, a major hedge fund involved in uh, what transpired along with a retail investor and another expert on um, sort of financial markets. And it's um, this situation with GameStop, um, which is a basically a retailer and how um, the stock went from, you know, low single digits at the depths of the pandemic to, um, you know, I think it peaked at uh, $350 um, in late January. And there's a whole series of, I guess, questions and implications and things that, you know, market investors and market participants are, are really trying to think about and grapple with about what transpired. Um, and we're going to, I think, talk about it at a high level. I don't think our expertise is necessarily in sort of the inner workings, let's say, of um, pay, payment for order flow or short selling or things like that. But I think, you know, it's it's a big enough thing in, in the market today. And it's important for investors to try to think about, I think, some of the things that we're going to talk about and also sort of what we can learn from the situation. But just to maybe sort of give a little bit of the backdrop here. So what basically transpired is it starts with a Reddit uh Reddit is like a, a sort of a message board. It's a, there's a bunch of different communities that kind of live on Reddit and these, and there's people in there talking about all these different topics. And so on Reddit, there's this um, community called Wall Street Bets where there's all these individual investors that are talking about, you know, individual stocks and investments. And there was one user who wrote a sort of bullish thesis on GameStop and as to why sort of the stock looked good fundamentally. Now, I think this started back in like 2019 is when sort of the narrative or his um, sort of investment uh, thesis first started to kind of play out. And so he was writing about it and they were talking about it, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously the pandemic came, you know, a lot of stocks got crushed. I think, you know, a lot of investors were looking at GameStop and saying, you know, this company is basically on the verge of failure and bankruptcy uh, because, you know, basically all these retail stores are, um, you know, basically shut down and people aren't going out and stuff like that. So then um, we went through the summer into the fall. And if you if you look at the stock chart in the stock, it started to get uh, a little bit better uh, pricing. 
as we sort of went into the fall. And then what really transpired is somewhere along the way, either that Reddit user or the Reddit user base in general realized that of the shares out, basically 140% of the stock's float was being shorted by hedge funds um, and other sort of investors. And so that presented an opportunity that if enough people, I think, got behind the stock, that they could push the stock up um, and also that there would be sort of a massive short squeeze. And we'll sort of talk about that. So, and then there's a whole other series of things that happened with, it was trading on Robinhood, the volume exploded, Robinhood actually halted buying the security. That's one thing I learned today in listening to this, this committee is that they actually still allowed investors to sell it. They just didn't allow more investors to buy the stock at that one point. Robinhood had to go out and do a capital raise. And then this has resulted in sort of all these questions about how did this happen? Is it fair on payment for order flow? You know, is it fair to have that much of a company's float um, sort of out there in short interest? So these are just, again, things and questions that I think investors and, and, and people in the markets are trying to understand and, and just think through. Um, so with that, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, the, the story here. I'm probably missing a lot of different things, but from my understanding, that's, that's what happened. And Jack, I know one of the things that you and I have sort of talked about is this idea that, you know, a stock can certainly get um, diverged significantly, and oftentimes they do in the short run, um, from their fundamentals. Yeah, that's right. So this, this sort of goes back to uh, the Ben Graham quote, which actually may not be a Ben Graham quote, which I guess we'll talk about in a second, but the, the whole idea of the voting machine versus the weighing machine. And the idea is that in the short term, the market is a voting machine. So people are buy, people buying and selling is controlling what happens to a stock price. But in the long term, stock prices are tethered to fundamentals. So in the long term, you know, whatever the fundamental value of the company is, will revert back to that. And so this sort of this that backdrop is important to understand as you think about what happens here. And I was listening to a podcast with Epsilon Theory, uh, Ben Hunt recently, and, and what they said, which I think is a better representation of this voting machine, weighing machine thing, is that the market is always a voting machine, but sometimes that voting is based on fundamentals. And if you look at it that way, you know, the flows in and out of stocks or the people willing to buy and the people willing to sell, that's always what determines what's happening with a stock. But at times, those people are going to care about fundamentals. And you would assume in the long term, they're going to care about fundamentals because there'd be, there'd be no reason to keep driving up a stock to infinity if the fundamentals aren't supported. So when you think about that backdrop, that sort of gives you some insights into what happened with GameStop because GameStop was all about the voting part of this. GameStop was about a situation occurred where way more people had to buy this stock then we're willing to sell it. And you, and you end up with thousands of a percent of a return. And that had absolutely nothing to do. I mean, maybe at the beginning, it had something to do with fundamentals because there were some people that felt it was undervalued. But as you're up thousands of percent, there, it was hard for anyone to argue that fundamentals played any role as this went on. And so I, I think it's important to take a step back and think about that whole weighing and voting concept and understand that at all times, the stock market really is a voting machine. It can just change what it cares about. And, and that sort of explains a little bit about how, how this whole thing played out. Yeah, so the genesis of this, that phrase, in the short run, the stock market is a voting machine, yet in the long run, it's a weighing machine. It, a lot of people credit Graham, we're kind of getting off GameStop for a second, but a lot of people credit Graham for saying that, but actually that quote is from a 1973 Warren Buffett interview. And what he's doing is refining basically Graham's original insight, which originally what Graham said in security analysis, which he wrote in 1934 was, and this is kind of building on what you said. He said, in other words, the market is not a weighing machine. 
in which the value of each issue is recorded by an exact and impersonal mechanism in accordance with its specific qualities. Rather, we should say the market is a voting machine whereon countless individuals register choices, which are the product partly of reason and partly of emotion. And so I think that plays nicely into exactly what you were saying. When these stocks are, and the market's trying to find value on these securities, it tethers back to the fundamentals, but certainly in the short run, you know, emotion and behavior plays a big role in the value of a company on a day-to-day -day basis and, you know, how stocks are trading at any given time. Yeah, there, there's no rule that says stocks eventually have to come back to fundamentals. They do, but it's not because there's, it's some law. They do because you have rational actors acting in the market and people who are buying and selling stocks eventually you're going to care about what it actually is they're buying, what the cash flows and the dividends and the earnings. And so there's no rule that says a stock has to eventually come back to fundamentals, but the way the market works and the way market participants work, it eventually just does because people in the long run are likely to care about those types of things because they are actually investing in an actual business. So it seems to me, and this is maybe I'm wrong here and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and I, 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 you know, I'm not on Wall Street Bets. I have looked at the Wall Street Bets message board just to get a sense about like what is being talked about in there, but I'm not part of that community. Um, <clears throat> but it does seem like the original individual investor, who's a young guy, um, he was actually working for Mass Mutual at the time when he, he was working in the like marketing department. Um, uh, he does has he he does have his CFA, um, but he I think made a very compelling sort of argument for why he you know saw fundamental value in GameStop, and he actually talked about that today to some extent in this in this hearing. Um, but you know the I think he was like looking at it as a turnaround play. The company was a smaller company. It was you know being unfairly maybe um, penalized by the market in these short sellers. So. You know, he he had, I think, legitimate reasons as to why he was, you know, making a bullish um, case for the security. But then it kind of just took on its own sort of world. And, you know, a lot of investors just piled in based on sort of the price movements, not necessarily um, sort of the fundamentals at any given point in time. Yeah, you have, you have two different things going on here. One is obviously the fundamental case. And, you know, we can debate that either way. And, you know, I, I don't really have an opinion. You know, we run quantitative strategies. I don't have an opinion, you know, before all this happened, what the fundamental value of GameStop was. But obviously one of the things was a fundamental case. The second thing was let's identify a stock where we can cause it to go up very, very rapidly. And so that has nothing to do with the fundamentals. And so if I was going to try to find a stock that I could cause to go up very, very rapidly, what I would do is I would find a smaller company and I would find a company with very high short interest. And so that's what they did. You know, this, this I think was the highest short interest of any publicly traded stock, I believe. That may, that may be wrong, but I believe it was. And it's also a smaller stock. You know, they were gonna have a hard time doing this to Apple. Or, you know, they even tried to, or they may or may not have tried to do this like in the silver market or something after, and that didn't work at all. So this was a unique set of circumstances where you had a fundamental case, but then you had other people who came in and said, all right, what, what can we, what type of stock can we invest in where we really can blow up the price? And, you know, with that level of short interest and a smaller company that's not that liquid, that's really the recipe for you being able to do that. So do you want to try to talk about, I guess, on the uh, sort of in those few days where the volume was just going crazy and the stock was going parabolic, there was a couple different things happening within the market internals, within this specific name, but also other names too. There was a bunch of securities to your point about other stocks that, you know, 
um, may have been or might have the ability to produce that type of performance based on high short interest and their market cap. There was, you know, when this was all going down, there was a list of maybe 12 to 20 names that, you know, was getting thrown around that these stocks are also like the next focus of the Reddit community, Wall Street bets. And these are the ones that maybe have the potential to follow in GameStop's footsteps. I mean, a lot of those were exactly what you're talking about, smaller cap, you know, high short interest stocks. But in terms of um, the volume and what transpired, and I guess maybe what even caused Robinhood to halt trading in that security, and I think a few other securities, um, I think you had sort of identified, and again, not areas of expertise per se, but you identified a couple different reasons why um, that was happening. Yeah, we should caveat this by saying, you know, we're certainly not experts in the options market and we're certainly not experts in short selling either. We don't do, we don't participate in either one of those areas, but we do have some understanding of it. And, you know, I think the first thing to understand about the option market is it's different than the equity market. And it's different because if I'm buying Apple stock and you're selling Apple to me, we typically have opposite opinions on Apple. So I'm bullish on Apple, you're bearish on Apple. What happens in the options market is the person on the other side of the trade from you is not another in investor. It's, it's a, it's a options dealer. And so that dealer doesn't want to have an opinion on the stock. They want to be neutral. They want to be in a situation where they're not going to lose money and they're going to make money on their spread. And so that's important because what it leads to is, you know, and these GameStop people largely used options in what they're doing. When, when they're buying options, that dealer is forced to, essentially that dealer will effectively be short the stock and they are forced to take a position to hedge that. And so what they do is they buy the stock. And so the GameStop investors will buy the options and the dealer will buy the stock to hedge themselves. And then what happens, and I won't get into all the details of it, but what happens with options is as the price of the stock starts going up, well, the dealer now has to hedge more because the dealer is no longer neutral. And so as the price goes up, the dealer has to just keep buying and buying and buying and buying. Um, and, and this, the, what the dealer is buying is a huge multiple of what the investor buying the option ever invested in the stock. And so it leads to this cascading effect. And then on top of that, what you have is what you talked about earlier, which is the whole, the whole thing about the short interest, which is what made this thing go, which is that if, if I'm short a stock, as the price goes up, you know, I have two things going on. One is I want to control my risk. I don't want to get the position too large. And two is I likely have margin calls coming. And so what those require me, both of those things require me to do is I have to start buying back the stock to limit my position. And so when you have that much, when you have more shares short than the entire float, what happens is a massive amount of buying as you go up. And so if you put both of those together, you've got the option dealer buying, you've got people just buying the stock in general, and then you've got this this other buying by people who were short in the first place. And then obviously when anything like this happens, you're going to get your people in the market that just want to take advantage of it. So you're going to get other hedge funds piling in and trying to take out other hedge funds. So you just had this whole, all of these things working in the same direction and it led to thousands of a percent of a return on the stock while it lasted. Yeah. Uh, two things with that. I think that, you know, one of the, um, funds that was largely short or had a you know big short position with this Melvin Capital. And you know they completely got blown up. They actually needed to go out and actually raise capital from outside investors, um, you know, in order to, uh, in order, you know, in order to basically, I, um, was it to meet the short position or I don't know if they're having redemptions or what, but I mean, they took major losses is the bottom line um, in their, uh, you know, their position in GameStop. And he, by that, 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 that 
fund's track record is like amazing. It's something like crazy, uh, you know, long, very, very good long-term track record. And that completely, you know, got turned upside down in this whole thing. And the other thing I, I kind of read today was um, Bill Gross, the former head of PIMCO, uh, made $10 million in GameStop during this whole thing. So, you know, sophisticated investors, institutions, other hedge funds were certainly in there um, trying to take advantage of this while it was, while it was going down. Yeah, no, absolutely. And anybody, you know, with the market, anytime hedge funds or, or anybody can take advantage of a situation, they're going to do it. So I, I think the, the narrative that this was just retail traders causing this whole thing is likely not true. I mean, there were, there certainly are going to be when, when market professionals see the opportunity to make money, they're going to go ahead and, and do that. One of the things there are stories now that are coming out about the investors that have made a lot uh, on the trade and then certainly people that lost a lot of money because you know, if you think about it, if this stock traded at $347, it went from like $3 to $347 a share basically. It's now somewhere around $40 a share. So it's still up significantly off its like low um, that it hit in March or April of last year. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just, you hear these stories about guys that, you know, were buying and, you know, at some up around $300, if you were buying it, you know, somebody was willing to sell it to you. And that kind of got lost in this. I think investors were just seeing dollar signs and not understanding that, you know, at, you know, there's always a seller out there on the other side. And a lot of these guys, you know, these investors that got in late, um, they've, they've lost a lot of money. I, you know, certainly you feel bad for people like that, but at the same time, hopefully they're young enough where they've kind of learned a little bit and they kind of can learn from those mistakes and sort of they get the battle wounds and they actually become better investors um, over time. And, you know, it's these things tend to kind of play out in the market. They sort of run their course and then they kind of come to a sort of an end. And <clears throat> we're st certainly just discussing it today, but sort of, uh, you know, a lot of the enthusiasm for GameStop certainly has come out of the come out of the market. And some of that might be just with time, this, these things wear themselves out, or maybe like the Robin Hood halting trading was sort of uh, put enough brakes on it to say, okay, this something's not right here. And like the market, you know, give the market time to basically correct itself. Yeah, well, how this was going to end was pretty much inevitable. I mean, nobody thought who was looking at any kind of fundamentals that GameStop was worth $400 a share. The problem is the way it's going to end is impossible to predict. And so could it have gone from $400 a share to 1000 before it ended? Yeah, it could have. I mean, if, if there were still people, you know, forced, anytime that there's forced anything going on in the market, things can happen beyond what you think is possible. And so that was the problem is it, the ending was inevitable, but there was no way to play it. Because ultimately, if you shorted the thing at 400 and it went to 1,000, you're wiped out too. And so it was just, it was one of those things where you knew the way it was going to play out in the end. I mean, obviously the people that were smart enough to sell when it was high made a ton of money here. Some hedge funds lost a lot of money. So the ending was inevitable, but the, with these things that are moving like that, there's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is just kind of be a bystander and watch it. Yeah. You know, it's going to be interesting to see sort of what comes out of this in terms of if there's, I certainly think there's going to be more disclosures um, from places like Robinhood in terms of maybe how they're actually making their money or maybe the risks of investing, um, maybe even um, uh, more restrictions around this idea that investing, investing has been gamified to some extent. Um, I mean, some of that has to do with GameStop. Some of it doesn't. But, you know, it will be interesting to see sort of what comes out of all this in terms of regulations and also how companies like Robinhood basically look to operate and how they, you know, treat their customers. 
Yeah, one of the things I would say going forward is, you know, don't expect to see this again. You know, people think like they're they're looking for their next target and this might happen again. You know, I'm not sure you're going to see this ever happen or not for a long time the way it did here. And one of the things you have to understand with hedge funds is, you know, hedge funds are very risk managed organizations and they're they're looking at this. Every hedge fund is looking at this right now and saying, what are my short positions? Could this happen to me? And so everybody who's shorting anything right now is, is, to, is completely looking at their risk and understanding what that risk is. And so the odds of this happening again, now that, now that people have seen this one time, the odds of this happening again are very low. Because in, I would think in general, hedge funds are reducing their short books dramatically on these types of names um, that could blow up like this. So you know, as much as people are looking for the next target, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see the next target. I mean, one thing this might impact is you might see less short selling, you know, in general, in these types of names. And that might be a bad thing because short selling is good for price discovery. You know, short sellers are very good at helping to uncover fraud. Um, and so as much as they get a bad reputation, they are very good at trying to find fraud and, and identify it. So, you know, it, it would be sad if that benefit comes out of the market, but I, I wouldn't expect anything like this to happen again. Yeah. And you, there's that research firm like Citron Research and they were, you know, they would write, I think, long pieces and short pieces and highlight companies that, you know, that they felt as though, you know, should be potentially shorted or companies that had problems with their business models um, or that just weren't good companies. And I think as a result of this, they've basically said, you know, they're not writing any more short pieces. So that's, you know, uh, here's a, a research firm that has basically thrown in the towel and said, you know, we're done. We're we're just not, you know, going to highlight short ideas anymore. And, um, you know, whether that's good or bad for the market, I don't know. But you, to your point, you know, maybe, 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 maybe it's bad. I mean, maybe that's what that is because, you know, you don't get that other side of the uh, argument in terms of when a company actually is, you know, like an Enron or WorldCom or something like that, where, you know, investors should be steering away from it. So. I mean, most short sellers are, are good at what they do and they, and they provide a function. And like I said, in terms of uncovering fraud, and if you think about it, like, if I'm a short seller, how do I continue to exist in the market? I mean, I've got a market that's going up 10% a year perpetually, and I'm always on the other side of that. I mean, the only way I'm going to continue to exist is if I'm good at it. And so these people are typically pretty good at identifying, you know, problems in the market or, or fraud type situations, and they make for a more efficient market. So I don't think the narrative in general that short sellers are trying to destroy companies is true. I think short sellers are looking for things that are wrong with companies. And I think that leads to a more efficient market in general. So my article this week was um, what GameStop's Crazy Ride can teach us about investing. And I'm not going to go through uh, all the things that I sort of pointed out in the article. But just before we wrap up, you know, a, a couple of the lessons I thought investors could take from this is one, um, you know, avoid borrowing money and taking out, you know, loans or using too much leverage when investing. And the article that I highlighted was a Wall Street Journal article that talked about the security guard that went out and borrowed 20 grand and, you know, invested in GameStop. And now he's down 80% on it. And, you know, and so not, not only is he down tremendously, but he also has to pay interest on the loan. Um, I also pointed out to the value of information, you know, I mean, the, re the, the Reddit user, the, whoever identified that 140% of the shares were short, um, I mean, that was publicly available information. And, you know, I do think that looking for unique pieces of data like that, you know, can give an individual investor, you know, an edge or, or an opportunity that maybe others aren't looking at. So that's one of the other things I pointed out to. And then just a, 
uh, lastly on, on this in terms of my article, you know, I, I kind of had a section in there like nothing is really free. And I was just highlighting this idea of payment for order flow and um, what that actually means. And that, you know, Robinhood is obviously getting paid for order flow, but so is Charles Schwab, so is E-Trade. And so the idea, of, you know, thinking that you're getting totally commission free trading is not really free because what you're not getting for free is when those trades are being made, you may not be getting the absolute best execution that you could be if that payment for order flow was being replaced by a commission. So those are just a couple of things I highlighted in my article. Um, and we'll actually put a link to that in the show notes for anybody who wants to read it. But Jack, do you want to sort of just uh, wrap this up with any parting thoughts? Yeah, there are two more I'd add to what you said is one is that there, we talked about this earlier, is there's no in the short term, there's no tether whatsoever between a company's stock price and its fundamentals a lot of the time. So you saw you can have these situations where because more people want to buy something or because more people want to sell something, it can go way far away from what it's worth. I mean, no, nobody would argue GameStop was worth $400. And so, you know, sometimes people think, well, if this stock is worth, you know, around $20, it's not going to go too far from that. But it's, it's important to understand that things you thought were never possible in the market can happen. And, you know, although there's pro there very likely is a tether to fundamentals in the long term, because people are rational actors, you know, in the short term, things can go way, way away from their fundamentals. And the only other one I, I, I thought is a good lesson from this is the whole idea of understanding what the risks are. And so we have a lot of people that are new to investing right now. And so, like you mentioned before, if you're using margin, you have to understand the risks, you know, that you're gonna, you can lose all your money. Or if you're, if you're shorting stocks, you can lose 10 times your money. Because, you know, ultimately stocks can only go down 100%, but they can go up an infinite amount. And so it's important to understand, and, and we saw with Melvin Capital, you know, even the most sophisticated funds sometimes don't have proper measures of their risk. And so it's really important when you're an investor, especially if you're a new investor coming in to understand what are my risks? What is the worst case scenario? What can I lose here? Good points. Very good points. All right, guys, thanks for uh, watching this episode and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.